Family, it's a privilege to be able to share God's word with you today. Over the past couple of months as a church, we've been in the book of Acts, just looking, I guess, very closely at this dynamic first century church that existed in Antioch, whose life and ministry has really been preserved for us by the Holy Spirit in a few chapters here in the book of Acts. We spent time, I guess, appreciating their devotion to the word of God. We've seen, and I guess seen the evidence of God's grace at work in the congregation, their emphasis on discipleship, their passion for missions. And as we've just looked at last week in Andrew's message, the presence, the existence of diverse leaders, not only in their, just their backgrounds, but also in terms of the type of gifts that the Spirit gave to them for the overall building up of the church. You see, the church in Antioch was a thriving one, and in fact, a model for many churches today, including our very own. But one thing we haven't, I guess, looked at as of yet is really, and I'm gonna look at it today, is worship and prayer, or prayer and worship, and the role that both of these played, both in the life of this church, and really ultimately or subsequently in the work that God produced in and through them for the sake of the gospel. You see, in our culture today, we, I guess, we love to elevate and celebrate people. And that's a good thing to a certain extent. But what we, I guess, fail to do in an equal measure or, or to a greater extent is emphasize and look behind or look at the root of that success. So maybe take Cristiano Ronaldo, for example. He's by far one of the best football players in the world. In the world. But for years... Um, I guess, and for years, people have celebrated, they've praised him for his skill, his ability to create and score goals. And if you're a football fan, you'll obviously know that recently he moved back to Man U and social media is a wash of just like pictures and stats of how good he has performed during this season. However, though it's out there, I'm sure, I haven't seen that many, I guess, pictures and stats around why he's able to perform the way he does at his age. The focus on his diligence and discipline that he gives to his diet, the amount of training that he puts in, and really the intense focus that he puts in when it comes to his mental health. We as a culture like to celebrate what we see externally while at times missing what has taken place behind closed doors. And so as we, I guess, come to the end of this series, my prayer for us as a church is that we don't just celebrate and glory over what the church in Antioch was, but rather we uncover and seek to imitate the source or the engine room for this great work, which obviously um, is the grace and sovereignty of God in establishing his kingdom in the world as he's doing today. But as we're gonna see, it's very much tied also to the fact that they were a worshiping and prayerful church in Antioch, responding to the grace of God. So let's now turn in our Bibles and we're gonna read from Acts chapter 13 from verses one to three. And so it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of God. So it's a very, I guess, short account, but a very impactful one. 
in this passage of scripture, we get a glimpse into a time of worship in which the leaders of the church, some commentators say the whole church was gathered, but nevertheless, the church is gathered and they're in a posture of worship. They are in a, in a time of giving, a giving of themselves unto the Lord. So we read in verse two, it says that they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And so this would have likely involved them singing songs of praise to Jesus. It would have involved them praying. And then we also read, or it also mentions, Luke mentions in this passage that they were also fasting. Again, highlighting that there might have been maybe a specific purpose to this time. But regardless, what we know and what it reveals is that there was an earnestness um, in their seeking of the Lord and of his will and of his purposes. This is what the church was doing. And it was in this gathering, in this moment, that we read the Holy Spirit speaks to the church and he calls Barnabas and Saul, who we obviously know um, as Paul, to preach the good news about Jesus to part or in parts of the world where the gospel had not yet been heard or where people had not yet been reached. And then the church sends them out in response after fasting and praying. Now, we're not going to, I guess, focus on um, this today, but if you were to take your time just to read the remainder of chapter 13 and chapter 14 of Acts, you will see what the Holy Spirit did as he called Barnabas and Paul, what he did through them. Much fruit, eternal fruit, was born from this mission in terms of salvation and churches being established, congregations of believers, Christ followers being established in what I guess we would call today Turkey, but in that day it was Asia Minor. Many people, a government official, many Jews and non-Jews were saved. They found forgiveness in Christ and ultimately they were reconciled to the living God all through this mission. But as we just read in verse two, it all began with a time of corporate worship and fasting unto the Lord. And we cannot miss that church. We cannot miss that. We can't underplay the significance of that. We glory in what took place during this missionary trip, but we can easily miss from where the Holy Spirit called Barnabas and Saul during a time of worship and fasting in the church. Family, all great ministry flows from a people who abide in God. Many of us would have maybe heard of Charles Spurgeon. In fact, Andrew, a few weeks ago in one of his sermons, he made mention of him. I'm going to do so as well. So many of you, again, like I said, would have heard of him, maybe known him, maybe even heard some of his sermons, but in his time and even after, he was known as the prince of preachers. He was the preacher of preachers. Uh, many came from far and near to hear this man speak, to hear him preach the word of God. His sermons would be taken down, written down and distributed both in this nation and globally. People would get them, read and digest them. In fact, it was just the other day, I'm in a WhatsApp group and someone actually sent me one of his sermons. I think it was in a written format. But just to show the extent um, to which people sought out this man's preaching. And many times he was asked, why is it that your preaching is so powerful? And time and time again, he would say this. He said, it's because my people, that is the church, pray for me. That's why my preaching is so powerful. You see, church, prayer and worship is like the engine room for the mission of God. Jesus put it this way in John 15. He said he's speaking to his disciples and he says this to them. This is literally just before he's about to go to the cross, just before he is going to suffer for us. And he gives this almost this message to his disciples. He says this, abide in me and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And as a church, we can do many things, but unless they flow from a place of abiding in Christ, none of those things will have long lasting fruit. That's what Jesus means when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But one of the main, I guess, consequences or results or outcomes of those who abide in Christ, of a church that abides in Christ, is that you will form a people who willingly and seek and, and desire really to worship and pray to him. Because as we abide in him, you can't help but worship the Lord because you start to discover again and again that he is indeed the life-giving vine who answers our prayers, who hears us, who supplies us with strength. And we are that branch that is, as it were, blossoms in this world to bear fruit for him. And that's who we're called to be as a church. This is what you see in Antioch. And in fact, this is what you see in the church throughout the book of Acts. So I'm just gonna highlight, I guess, a few passages for us to, to, to help us see this. So in Acts chapter one, verse 14, it reads, that all the disciples with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So despite walking with Jesus in his earthly ministry, despite seeing physically the risen Christ, you still find them gathering, devoting themselves to prayer. And I'm sure that these times would have involved also singing of songs as they remind themselves of the truth about who Christ is and his victory, but they continued to abide in him. In Acts 2:42, it tells us that they, meaning the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So by this time, if you know the account of Acts, um, and at this time, the, at this point, should I say, in, in, in the church's history, they had just received the promised Holy Spirit. So they had power to be witnesses, to be powerful witnesses for Christ, yet we still find them praying. Because although we, I guess, one of the major things we do in prayer is make requests, prayer has much to do with communion and having a relationship with God. The Spirit came and He didn't make them independent. Rather, He made them more dependent on God in prayer. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we read the book of Acts or even when we look at history, the type of fruit and impact the church made. And on this point, before I read the last passage, I guess I just wanna share, um, I just want to share a story just on this because the Lord had to teach me this. So this happened um, quite earlier on in my faith, a couple years into becoming a Christian. And at this time, I was being tormented in my mind by ungodly thoughts. And I remember back and forth going to God, resting, oh Lord, free me from this, forgive me, I'm sorry, free me. And I got to a point where I was like, all right, do you know what? I'm going to fast. I'm going to take time out to fast about this so that, yeah, and hear this, so that, um, God can give me strength to fight this on my own. So I don't need to keep going back and forth. Because I was thinking, oh, this is long. Let me fight this on my own, get strength so I can battle it. And I don't really need God to deal with this for me. Again, you can tell I was quite immature in my faith, but God had to show me something through this. So the fast started, I started praying. And please believe these thoughts started to intensify all the more. And I remember just thinking, God, but I'm fasting. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to um, get strength from you to, to, to free me and, and provide deliverance and freedom for me. And it was as if the Lord just in that moment spoke to me and told me this, true strength in the kingdom is found when you're weak in and of yourself 
but you're dependent upon me. True strength in the kingdom is found when you're weak in and of yourself, but you're dependent upon me. And that was a lesson that I had to learn. No church can become so strong that they don't need prayer. It reminds me of one of the churches in Revelation 3 that Jesus speaks to and he says this about them, or he says this to them. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. These are strong words, but it's key for us as a church even just to hear that as we seek to emulate and follow in the footsteps of the church in Antioch. True strength for fruitful ministry is found as we collectively humble ourselves before God in prayer. We acknowledge our need and we sing songs of praise to him that remind us of who he is and what he has done. And then the last passage I want to highlight before moving on is Acts chapter 6 verse 4. There we find the leaders of the church. This is in Jerusalem. There was no church in Antioch at this time, but in Jerusalem facing a crisis. And the crisis was that there were some widows who had not been fed. But rather than attending to the issue themselves, they went and appointed quality men to basically solve and address the situation. And they said this in Acts 6 verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so even in the face of crisis, even in the face of increasing activity, prayer, that place of abiding in God, wasn't going to take the back seat in the church. It's not that they avoided solving the problem, but rather their actions teach us that in the church, not even good things should get in the way of continuous prayer. Because in times of prayer and worship, that's the place actually where God propels us forward for the work that he has at hand. And this is what we see in Antioch, as, as you read in verse two, that as they worshiped and prayed, the spirit commissioned them for his work. And in fact, this is also what we see in the very life of our Lord Jesus himself. If you read the gospels, you'll find accounts of Jesus leaving places where there was still more opportunity to do God's work, such as healing or even preaching. But he would leave just so that he could be alone and commune with the Father to pray, to be before him, to worship him. And in our day of, I guess, busyness and activity, we might not understand that, but it seems that the early church did and they modeled it. And I believe it's in our day really, it's vital that we get back to that as the church of Jesus Christ, that we're not just doing much activity, but that we pull away or that actually the bedrock of what we're doing is girded in prayer, is girded in prayer. But I wanna finish by just, I guess, looking at and emphasizing the context in which the church in Antioch sought the Lord. What was the context? What were they actually doing? What were they seeking him about? And I feel that it would help us maybe answer some questions like, why do we worship? when we gather, as in why do we sing songs? What should we ultimately be praying for when we gather? Why should we gather together to worship and pray and not just stay at home and do it on our own or individually? And so from what we just read in verse two of Acts 13, again, in that passage, we don't actually know what exactly the church prayed and what, as it were, what they uttered to God when they came together to worship and fast. But going by, I guess, what the Holy Spirit said to them at that time, and also by the accounts of prayer through our acts, it's somewhat possible that they were praying for a furthering of the gospel. In other words, for the advancement, for the fulfillment of the great commission that came from Christ, namely to make disciples of all nations. It seems that that was the burden on their heart as a church. 
And so in verse two, we read that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then in verse three, it says the church lays hands on them and then sends them off. We see that there was a commitment to the advance of the gospel in the church in Antioch and a readiness to release leaders for the sake of that great work. And this is key because ultimately, these times of prayer and worship are fueled as we as a church, as we as a people recognize to whom we belong, when we recognize his purposes, when we recognize who we are and the role that we have to play in it. The church worship and praise because she belongs to Christ and to his mission in the world. And you can't help but notice this as you maybe survey throughout the book of Acts, the times of worship and prayer that the church, or that's recorded in Acts of the church, they surely, I'm sure, they prayed for one another. They would have prayed for needs and concerns that arose from various believers. But overwhelmingly in Acts, we find them gathered to worship in the context of preaching Christ and advancing his kingdom. Take, for example, uh, one of the powerful prayers that we find in Acts 4. Peter and John had just been threatened that they should not speak or teach in the name of Jesus again. What do they do in response? They call a prayer gathering. They lift up the name of God, reminding themselves that he is the sovereign one over all the world, that he is sovereign over every situation, even over, I guess, this difficult situation that they find themselves in. And that's what worship songs do. When we sing songs of worship, it lifts our eyes to God in a way, as it were, from our situation. And then what do they do? They pray that God will give them the ability to continue to speak his word with boldness. In other words, that the Great Commission will continue to go ahead without being hindered. And in fact, it's actually in answer to this prayer that the church in Antioch was even born. Because as we've been looking at over the past few weeks in Acts 11, it was during the outbreak of persecution in Jerusalem that the church was scattered. And as they were scattered, they went from to and fro to different places. And they, some of them arrived in Antioch and started preaching the word of God boldly despite the persecution they had faced in response to this prayer, in answer to this prayer. And now in Acts 13, we're reading about how the Spirit sends one of those who had just persecuted them initially, Paul, to go out from Antioch and start preaching from the very church that started because of his persecution. Imagine that. We should, we should glory in God. We should be glorying in the sovereign one. And that's why as a church, we should never, I guess, never underestimate what God can do as his people, not just separate individuals, but as his people gather to worship and pray according to his will. But also why it's not only our prayers, but also our songs of worship to the Lord should be centered on the truth as, is, as it is revealed in scripture and not solely on what, I guess, makes us feel good. Our songs should be rooted in scripture, littered, peppered with scripture and not just written so that we can feel good. And I love that, again, even as a church, some of you may know this, some of you might not, but even our elders have oversight over our worship team. Again, just to show the emphasis um, that we have and, 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 and the emphasis that we show towards worship in the songs that we sing. In Psalm 105 verses one to two, it says this, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. 
Paul echoes this very same tone in Ephesians 5, 19 to 20, when he instructs the church to do this, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches, as we gather and sing to the Lord, it's as we gather and sing to one another, because as we're singing, sometimes I've been in, 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 in worship settings or gatherings where I'm not singing, but I can hear everyone else singing. and I'm taking that in myself. But it's as we do that, that we're reminded again and again of who our God is. We're reminded of what he's done, what Christ has achieved and what he is doing and seeking to do in this world through us, his church. It's beautiful, but it doesn't stop there because what does it do? It helps us, it propels us, therefore, to pray. We gather and hear the word of God. We sing the word of God. We pray the word of God. And then we go on to live the word of God. And I've been stirred many times as I've gathered with the church to pray and worship the Lord. On one occasion, I think it was Christmas 2019, um, we were all gathered, obviously, before the pandemic, and we sang a song called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I think it was the first time I had personally heard that song. But I just remember hearing the lyrics. I'm just going to read, or should I say sing some of them for you now. It says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. And then the chorus goes, it says, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And I guess the context for this song is almost sung as if it's in the Old Testament and people are looking forward to the Messiah, to the one who is going to come, who's going to come and rescue us from sin and from death and from the evil one. And as I, I guess, was mulling over this song and reflecting on it as it was being sung, um, the Lord really put it on my heart and impressed on my heart that, look, this is the cry of a people. Um, it was the cry of the Israelites, but more so it's the cry of humanity. Humanity is looking for a savior, one who is going to rescue them, one who is going to save them for their, from their sins. That was the reality for me, and that was the reality for you until Christ appeared and he died on the cross, rose again, and set us free, ensuring that humanity can now rejoice if they repent and trust in him. But the reality is this song is still true, that there is still a world out there, young people, some family members, friends, a nation that is in need of the Son of God. And so even as we sing songs, we need to be reminded, God will remind, in fact, as we sing songs, should I say, God is reminding us, as we pray, God is reminding us of his great commission. He's reminding us of his calling and it stirs us to go out and do his will. And in fact, I remember in hearing this song, again, throughout, I think throughout lockdown, just listening and listening and listening, it kind of stirred, it stirred me really to go out during Christmas uh, with my family and to, into our local area in Eltham and to share the gospel with people. Because again, that song had, got it through that song had impressed on me the reality that the son of God has appeared and the people of this world need him. They need him. So church, as I wrap up, let's not neglect, let's be encouraged that our times of prayer, our times of worship as we come together is not in vain. The Lord hears us. He hears our cry. 
He is a God. Christ, through his work, through his redemption, it says that the throne of grace is open to us. So we can come to our Father in heaven with confidence to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Let us be reminded that those who seek the Lord with all their heart will be rewarded, will find him. Let us remember these things. And that as a church, as we continue to abide in him, that we will see kingdom fruit for years to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you that it's because of his sacrifice that the, the veil that was once in the temple, that veil that separated um, the common man from your presence has now been removed. Thank you that as a church, we can pray. We can seek your face. We can know you as the one who answers our prayers according to your will. And Lord, I pray that you would stir us as a church to pray, not to look simply on the external and the outwardly, but to go and hide, as it were, in our closets as a people and seek your face, praying that your kingdom will come, praying that the word of the Lord will increase and multiply in our, in our, in our time, in our, in our generation, Lord God, in our communities. And Lord, help us. I pray for even our, our worship leaders, Lord God. I pray, would you send songs that are peppered, littered with your words, so that as we sing them, we will see you more clearly, that we will see ourselves clearly, and we'll see what you are doing in the world clearly, Lord. Bless your church, Lord God, and may your kingdom come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.